Look out, League. The Magpies are back. In this 1935 season, a new-look Magpies outfit with a combination of young and old are back near the top. South Melbourne, after failing in the grand final the previous season, looked for the premiership as a redemption from the previous year. Geelong fall apart before the season even begins, and Footscray finally get their man. Dan Minogue moves to his fifth league club, club, and a Brownlow medalist calls time really, really early in the season. And not to mention possibly the biggest grand final week news story ever. We'll talk about that and more <laughs> after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast for this, the 1935 season. To my left, I've got the Kazman. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and opposite me, I've got Moz. Hello, everybody. Uh, we currently don't have Charlie. I think he's getting his car. He would be opposite me. He There's might pop there. in, he might not. We'll slot him in for the news later on of the year. Uh, you might hear his voice, but at, the mo- at this stage, he's not here with us. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so, something I want to start with. Hello to listeners in the country of Georgia who oh. have discovered us oh. and the US, US state of Wisconsin. Wow. I'm feeling Hi, the Russian. Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> um, so, so Georgia, you know, like there's a few. That's, that's close to Russia. We've got, we've got a bit of a following. We're, we're getting closer to Russia. Lo- yeah. Soon. It's I feel a- it's coming soon. <laughs> I hope <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, let's very quickly get to some news of the year. Um, the hit song of that year, you might have heard actually, uh, it's a song called The Good Ship Lollipop. Yes! By Shirley Temple. Okay, nice. sung by Shirley Temple. From yeah. a movie. Oh, everybody think, knows, yeah. right? Yeah. What a classic. And The Simpsons have also used that in an episode or two. There we go. Oh. Um, good fun fact, Anna. Thank um, you. So Interesting. we'll probably slot in Charlie's so rest good. of the year's news here, but we'll play the, uh, the hit song over the top of that. Well, 1935, great year. Great year. Great year. Lots happening. Uh, So starting off strong on January 1st, the Italian uh, colonies of uh, Tripoli and Serenica were joined together as Libya. So we now have Libya. And we still do. Yeah. 1935. Hey. Libya. Here we come. Libya liberated. Uh, On the 19th of January, Coopers Incorporated sold the world's first men's briefs. Cooper's the beer company? No, no. In Chicago, they were known. They were called jockeys. Any relation? Oh, I, I wish. Um, on the 24th of January, following up from the jockeys, uh, the first canned beer was sold in Richmond, Virginia. Was it Cooper's? No, Gottfried Kruger Brewing Company. Yeah. So have a cold can in your jockeys on the couch. You can only do it in 1935. Are they still a beer company? I don't know. Gottfried Kruger Brewing I'll look company. it up. You keep yeah. talking. I think uh, those can things really caught on there. Yeah, they certainly did. On the 26th of Feb, Qantas Empire Airways made its first scheduled international flight uh, from Darwin to Singapore. Right, us in what with Qantas. Yeah. Um, on the 6th of February, um, the Parker Brothers began selling the board game Monopoly in the United States. On the 26th of Feb, 
bit of uh, Nazi Germany news. Hitler ordered the reinstatement of the Air Force, the Luftwaffe, in a via- which was in violation of the Treaty of Versailles. On the 9th of March, slightly lighter news, Porky Pig made his debut as the first, first major Looney Tunes character in, which is one of my favourite uh, titles of a Looney Tune, I Haven't Got a Hat. That was the name of it. I like it. On the 27th of April, the FA Cup uh, was held. Sheffield Wednesday beat West Bromish Albion 4-2 at Wembley. Um, on the 29th of April, two days later, the very first um, Vuelta España was raced, the cycling race, which is now one of the three grand tours of road bike racing. Um, on the 30th of May, Babe Ruth appeared in his very last game of baseball, playing for the Boston Braves in Philadelphia against the Phillies. Uh, on the 31st of May, the 20th Century Pictures and Fox Film became 20th Century Fox. Hey. They conjoined. Was that the first joining of, a, of a film studios? I don't know. I don't know. Must be up there. Um, on 13th of June, James J. Braddock, also known as Cinderella Man, defeated Max Baer at Madison Square Garden to win the Heavyweight Boxing Championship of the World. You might remember the Russell Crowe movie um, about him, Cinderella Man. Yeah. He'd retired and then come back to fight. Everyone thought he was too old. Um, on the 1st of, the, of July, the AAP, or the Australian Associated Press News Agency, was established. On the 16th of July, the world's first parking metres were installed hmm. in Oklahoma City. Okay. Do you think that would be... Okay, the first see. place you'd think. No. Um, on the 13th of September, Howard Hughes set the airspeed record of 352 miles per hour in the Hughes H1 racer. That's not the spruce spruce, is it? I don't think it is, no. no. Hop in. <laughs> um, on the 2nd and 3rd of October, the second Italo-Ethiopian war began when General Italian General Emilio de Bono invaded Ethiopia. On the 4th of October, Luna Park in Sydney was officially opened. On the 5th of November, Marabou won the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> On the 19th of December, the movie Captain Blood by er- well, with Errol Flynn was released. Ooh, we might hear more about that. Mm. On the 31st of December, the cane toad was introduced to Queensland. Oh, what a stupid I idea. I know. And at some point, we're not sure exactly when, the very famous uh, architecturally designed house Falling Water in Pennsylvania designed by Frank Lloyd Wright was completed. Mm. Yeah. Nice. So lots of stuff happened. As I said, great year. Anyone born in 35? Quite a few people. Okay. Would you like to hear some of them? Just give me a few. Yeah, give me a few. Yeah, a few. Uh, Floyd Patterson, the twice heavyweight champion of the world. He was beaten by Muhammad Ali in the end. Uh, January 8th, Elvis Presley. No, sorry, he wasn't beaten by Muhammad Ali. He was beaten by Sonny Liston. I apologise. Uh, Elvis Presley was born January 8th. The 19th of January, Johnny O'Keefe. Ooh. Shout. The 16th of Feb, Sonny Bono. Just three of the greats. <laughs> right there. Um, on the 24th of June, Robert Downey Sr. was born, the, who was also an American actor. But at that stage, he was just Robert Downey, wasn't he? Well, I guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. On the 8th of August, John Laws, the Melbourne radio personality. Is he still alive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the 24th of August, uh, Sutomo, Sutomu Hata, the 51st Prime Minister of Japan. 
I just wanted to say his name. Uh, The 29th of September, Jerry Lee Lewis, the rock and roll musician. Baseball's a fire. Yeah. On the 12th of October, Luciano Pavarotti. Wow. Uh, On the 15th of October, Bobby Morrow, who was... um, an American sprinter and a three-time gold medalist at the Melbourne Olympics in 1956, okay. known as the ultimate sprinter of that age. Yeah. Yeah. First of November, Gary Player, the South African golfer. Great man. Okay. And the 30th of December, Sandy Koufax, the baseball player, was born. So a few sportsmen, a few rock and roll artists in there. You. You know, lots was going on. So to some league news. Um, a rubber ball was used in the preseason <laughs> as a bit of a trial to see whether they could inter- introduce a new ball. Oh, an but ultimately, copy. it was deemed too bouncy and inclined uh-huh. to float in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see some footage of that. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're in uh, primary school and you kick those sort of like practice ones, oh, yeah. oh, that just that's what yeah. it seems like yeah. to or me. Or playing dodgeball with a ball that's too light and it just flies yeah. away off the court. Or floats in that upward trajectory. <laughs> um, also this season, the league discovered that schoolgirls like attending the football as much as schoolboys. Whoa, So baby. they renamed the schoolboy ticket the school ticket, following a proposal by Collingwood's Bob Rush. Love it. It good. feels like it's a bit of a head of its time there. Fantastic. Mm. Um, and in August, the chairman of Melbourne, C.H. Parkin, puts forward a proposal for the throw pass to be allowed in the VFL. <gasps> What a ridiculous proposal by a Melbourne representative there. <laughs> um, and luckily it was voted against by every other club because it's a stupid idea. Um, but However, they were more successful with putting into motion um, that the ball be thrown in by the umpire when it crosses the boundary line, except when it's out in the full. All right. Ah. Good. <laughs> I still want that throw pass in. Why? Well, let's try it. Seems good. Um, I think the VFA is like introducing it, and it's yeah, it's ridiculous. Not one throwing. Yeah, not a fan. Well, we've no. got the flick pass. We've got the flick still pass. In the now. flick yeah, pass. I'm a fan. That's controversial enough. Mm. Okay. Um, so let's move into the uh, season proper, Casman. Mm-hmm. Coming down in twelfth place with another wooden spoon. I say another because you're right. It's North Melbourne with <laughs> one win, seventeen losses. Hey, they got that one win and sixty-five point one percent. Anna, it is very sad to see them down there again. I am, but they at least mm. they had a win this season. Yep, they did. I did. Um, captain coaches? Cap- well, the captain and the coach were the same man. Yep. Tom Fitzmaurice. Yes. Fitzmaurice. Fitzmaurice, a former Fitz- Essendon champion. Yep. Yes, Tim. Uh. <laughs> premiership, t- dual premiership player with the, bon- with the same olds. <laughs> mm, former. And the leading goal kicker for North was John Lewis with 23 goals. John Lewis. Um, nice. Yeah, so still not great news at North Melbourne. Um, the club had to seek financial assistance from the league. They were £1,200 in debt. Uh, the league advanced them a loan of £500 to help them kind of get out of their hole. But really, with North Melbourne, it was another long, long season. Mm. In round... Look, they had some close games as well. Round one, they lost by four points to Hawthorne. In round five, a two-point loss to Footscray. And then round eight, they suffered an 80-point loss to Collingwood in which the team only managed six goals. Um, and so following this, Tom Fitzmaurice resigned as captain coach due to the team really making no headway from the previous season. Mm. Paddy Scanlon took over as the coach and vice-captain Teddy Llewellyn took over the reins as captain. However, as you mentioned, Moz, round it's not 16... not just that simple. 
Round 16. Round 16, they had their first win. Woohoo! Breaking their 35 game losing streak. <laughs> dating back to round 16, 1933. <laughs> Get around them. Two years and five days. Oh. Um, their win was a seven point uh, victory over Footscray at the Western Oval. And yeah, look, nothing, no, no other news about yeah. North Melbourne. That was just a disastrous season. I'm really missing St Kilda, but yeah. <laughs> but sad to see them but down there. St Kilda haven't finished bottom since the new teams come in. Oh. They, they went close in 32, but they mm. haven't finished bottom really, Kaz, since 1921. Mm. I smell finals. Anyway. Actually, no, I, I lie. It's 19, <laughs> 1924. <laughs> I wouldn't have known, so why? Well, anyway, write us in. <laughs> St Kilda fans. Actually, maybe we should not encourage that. Anyway, it's, it's good for the St Kilda fans out there. We're off, off them now. So, in 11th place, we've got Footscray. Um, two wins and f- haven't seen this for a while two draws and 14 losses 73.5% yeah. two Ooh. and the captain coach was <laughs> Albie Morrison um, and the leading goal kicker Jack Ryan on 25 goals Jack Ryan first yeah. thing that sticks out to me about uh, Footscray is their jumper moz let me have a little squeeze how, how would you describe that um, sort of like a candy shop yeah. Yeah. a barbershop sign as you know they used to be called the tricolours and it's quite Obvious there. <laughs> yes, it's it's but got a lot are. of detail to it. Very uh, mm. many stripes. So red, white, and blue, like but the thin stripes. The red and white's really yeah. thin with a thicker blue stripe. Mm. But on top of that, we've mm. got a like a, a white V. Yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to say. And another mm-hmm. the the white collar as well. Yeah, and the white and red cuffs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of detail involved. Mm. That's too. Gym. That's it's just too busy. Yeah, it hurt your eyeballs watching that mm. game. Imagine them playing North Melbourne or Collingwood. How many stripes uh, there'd be? Oh, it'd hurt your eyeballs even more watching those North teams. Melbourne. It's stripes versus stripes. Mm. Yeah, yuck. Mm. And no. not many goals. If they were singing the good ship lollipop, it would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got lollipops on the brain. Yeah. yeah I'll try it. Um, a debutante for the uh, Tricolours this year was Pi Lewis. Uh, and a yeah. debutante for the Tricolours? A debutant for the Tricolours was Arthur Oliver, and uh, turns out he's one of the game's record holders and was a was a prolific ruckman, uh, if I am correct. I have to have turned to the right page. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, something like uh, yeah, very close to um, being the game's record holder, and uh, was appointed captain coach um, of New Norfolk and Tasmania as well, and he stayed there for three years. Um, yeah, an all-round, all-round fantastic player. He um, held the game's record until the mighty Ted Witten. Oh, wow. Ah. So, um, obviously a champion. And it was inducted in the Hall of Fame as well. The League Hall of Fame or the Footscray Hall of Fame? The Australian Football Hall of Fame, it says awesome. here. Um, and uh, was on the interchange for the Bulldogs Team of the Century. Arthur Oliver. Arthur Oliver. Nice. Oh, very good. Um, pre-season, the club decided they wanted more coordinated vocal enthusiasm from their followers. <laughs> um, so they asked for club songs and also considered appointing a cheerleader, if you will. Ah, interesting. There you go. So we've got um, the cheer squads starting to to uh, what do you say? Uh, mature form. Mm. That's right. And we yeah, had even though we know, like back in the eighteen nineties, Essendon had that singing choir that used to go to their games. <laughs> That's right. Same old song. So this mm. is something that has been there in the past, but a lot of singing mm. in the crowd seems to have died off. Mm. Yeah. And last year, you remember that we had the judge going around and checking up on people's um, cheering and giving scores. Oh, out that was yeah, a few seasons right. ago. Yeah. yeah. So that they're trying to sculpt the right kind of 
They were kind of cheering. Mm. Uh, maybe maybe more than energetic than a choir. Yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> but not uh, against the umpires and mm. without hitting, encouraging people to hit other people with fence posts. Mm. And <laughs> yes. not quite a brass band yet. No. <sighs> yes. Good. Can you remember in the? Uh, I think it must have been the late nineties. Mozzie might have been. Young, at the, time. Quite young. Um, the Bulldogs tried to introduce a chant in that was like something like Bulldogs, Bulldogs, woof, woof, woof. Oh, no, I don't remember Sounds that. Fun. I'm pretty sure there was a chant that they tried to introduce <laughs> and bring into their match day, and I really don't think it took off. A um, list of failed chants would be very entertaining. That would. That uh, would be good. You made me think of one failed thing that Melbourne tried to do. Um, I, I don't even want to bring it up, but there was the trumpeter. Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty divisive. I firmly in the camp of I hated the trumpeter <laughs> uh, playing the, the tune, uh, the um, the theme song out of time uh, with the rest of the singing and oh. too slow. And, uh, it's like but good the, on him, though. It's like the Tigers tried to introduce a rally rag when um, when Terry Wallace was in charge. <laughs> What's a rally like a little, rag? Like a towel, like about a, a oh. towel that might have been 60 centimetres that you'd, you'd, wa- you'd wave in the air. Oh, that's so soccer. Oh, very American football, actually. There you go. Okay, yeah, cool. Which is, I'm pretty sure where he got the idea. Failed. Failed. Failed ideas. Yeah, that'll ideas. be another episode. <laughs> I would love Sounds to have a, a failed idea. At least then it was tried and failed. Mm. <laughs> yes, that's what I tell, oh. tell my class. <laughs> <laughs> failed uh, gloriously. Um, back to the tricolours then. Round oh, yeah. one, they pushed the reigning premiers till three-quarter time where the Tigers took over, but a really positive start, and then went down to South Melbourne in a very similar way the following week. Um, their first win came in round five, which was a two-point thriller over North Melbourne. Then round four, they suffered a loss to the mighty Essendon. They had a meeting during the week. Um, Albie Morrison was there chatting to his players and was asked by the committee to step outside. And who should he find stepping outside? Who should he find there when he stepped outside? Sid Coventry standing there. Oh. Um, he was the new coach, and oh. that is how LB Panham found out. He was face to face with the new coach. Um, oh, yeah, which was quite awkward. But he um, cool. he stepped aside graciously. Um, and if you remember, um, the Bulldogs had tried to get not the Bulldogs, the Tricolors had tried to get Sid Coventry across for a few years, yeah. and so they finally got their man. So he was now the coach. Collingwood um, letting him go um, mm. gracefully with the proviso he wouldn't play for them. Okay. Could coach but not play. Yeah. Um, uh, the first match in charge was a two-point win over North Melbourne, which we just talked about. Um, Morrison was responding to his replacement by kicking four goals. Hmm. So not all bad. Classy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, they managed then to scrape a draw with an inaccurate Carlton in round seven and had the same result against Geelong in round 11. So two draws, as you said, Kazman. Hmm. Um, their only other win for the season was in round 10, which was a five-point win over Hawthorne at Glen Ferry. So some really close wins this season. Um, round 11, Sid Dockendorf, who was a former Richmond player, was brought across also by Sid Coventry. He'd been coaching in the VFA at Sandringham. Mm. Um, he had played for Richmond in 1933, but during the semi-final clash against South Melbourne, um, pre-game he'd had some pain-killing injections by Dr. Roy Park. I remember, have, you remember Dr. Roy Park? Uh, yes, he played though. Yeah, he played um, for university. Co- university. Yeah. Um, but of course, those, following those pain-killing injections... Dockendorf actually collapsed in the car park after the game and had emergency surgery, missing the prelim and the grand final that year, um, and was told he'd never play football again. So he, he actually ended up playing four games this season for the, the Tricolours, his first being that round 11 draw with mm. Geelong, and he'd play a few more seasons as well. 
Hmm. Little fun backstory I found out. That's awesome. Pretty scary backstory. Yeah, did, oh, yeah. wait till there's more scary stories coming up as well. I mean, it Whoa. is Halloween. Whoa! <laughs> it's the day for it. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I haven't heard of painkilling injections before. Um, it was it was he collapsing because of the painkilling? Oh, well, it just says he injuries? received some pre-game painkilling injections from Dr. Roy Park. So m- maybe he's already on his way down. He's tried to get him up. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Whether he's sick or suffering some kind of well, to, to have emergency surgery must have been pretty serious. Yeah. Unless you. Hmm. Very sad. Um, okay, 10, 10th Hawthorne with five wins and 13 losses, and that's 80.9% this year for mm-hmm. them. And the captain coach for Hawthorne was Ivan McAlpine. Um, leading goal kicker, Jack Green, with 63 goals. Yeah, which is pretty good for a team that finishes third last, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so McAlpine, as you said, Moz, he came across from Footscray as captain coach. Mm-hmm. And really, really positive start. We spoke about their four-point win over North Melbourne. Uh, Jack Green kicking seven goals, so picking up where he left off. Um, however, then Hawthorne went on a 10-game losing streak. Oh. Yes. Um, <laughs> snapped in round 12 with a win over North Melbourne. Uh, they're an eight-goal to nothing last quarter, sealing that win for them. And then round 15, they had a loss to St Kilda, and the committee went to the players and said, guys, we've got no money to pay you. We can't pay you for the lot for the last three rounds of the season. Mm. Um, are you still happy to play? And they said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll still play." And then they went out and they won the last three games of the season against Essendon, Geelong, and Fitzroy, which was the first time in the league they'd ever won three games in a row. If that's not good karma, I don't, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's lovely. Um, and yeah, that's that's Hawthorne season. Wow, because we're still in the midst of the depression, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we're, we're slowly getting out of it. Mm-hmm, not in the worst of it anymore. Yeah, 1935, but we're edging towards World War Two. Yes. Mm. Mm. I suppose you could say the, th- the footy's getting stronger oh, at absolutely. this time as well. Mm. Don't know. So we're moving on to ninth place. Geelong. Nine. Cats. Nine. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> six wins, one draw, 11 losses. This is not good territory here for Geelong. Mm. Um, the captain is Reg Hickey, or was Reg Hickey. Mm. Yeah. And the coach, a different person this time, Percy Parrott. Yep. Um, and oh. the leading goal kicker was Jack Evans with 32 goals. We're hearing his name again. Who? Percy, Percy Parrott. Parrott. Yeah, who did he play for, guys? Fitzroy. Well done. <laughs> with the hat. Yeah. Oh, they were the times when I was really struggling with this show <laughs> format. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, that's all right. So, I mean, looking at Geelong since 1930, they've been in the top five every year since so this is quite a drop off for Geelong to be finishing this low down in in ninth spot and there's a reason for this as well um Percy Parrott was hired at the end of the the previous year so December of of 1934 he was living in Colac so it was quite convenient for him to come across and and coach Geelong Mm -hmm. um however before the club started its season um it was already embroiled in controversy so there was uh the Waterside Workers Federation declared the football club a black zone um, Cryo Freezing Works was in disputes with its workers and one of the Geelong players, Lindsay Lamb, was, an employed, uh, was employed but not a union member. As a result, the Waterside Workers Federation claimed it wouldn't support the club and advised members not to buy tickets until Lamb was dropped. This lasted up until round one when five players refused to play with Lamb against Carlton. Uh, president of the club, Morris jo- Jacobs, issued an ultimatum claiming any player who refused to play today would never play for Geelong again so they played um, and it was actually a great start to the season they had a six point win over Carlton at Princess Park Jack Metherill kicking five and many of the players who refused to play were among the best 
And round two, saw another close game. Two-point win over the Demons. George Maloney kicked seven in that. And then you wouldn't believe it in round three, another thriller, third in a row. This time they're on the wrong side of that, going down to St Kilda by five points, despite a strong last quarter. But this would be Lindsay Lamb's last game of football. So it seems the club wilted to the outside pressure and, and ended up letting him go and he didn't play again. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can imagine a club starting with that kind of controversy early in the season is going to fall apart at some side, some point, uh, which they did. Um, Round nine, um, they had a big win over North Melbourne, and then round 10 would be their last win for the year, which was followed by a draw with Footscray, and then seven straight losses to end the season. Well, it was not a good way to, to finish the year. Oh, that no. Um, they had a drubbing at the hands of South Melbourne in round 16, and a dispute would erupt in the Geelong rooms between a trainer and a member of the committee, with the trainer quitting on the spot. Ooh. However, later in the week, he changed his mind after representations were made to him by the players. And that ends a poor and disappointing season for the Black Cats. Poor Black Cats. Mm. In eighth place, Essendon with seven wins and 11 losses, 89.6%. No, just that one extra win there in July. (laughs) We are slowly making our way back up the ladder. We've gone from 12th to 10th to 8th. There there is definite progression there. It's a nice pattern. That's right. You can't Mm. argue with that. I mean, it was finals in two years for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The captain of Essendon is Keith Forbes and the coach, Charlie May. Keith Forbes, as well as being the captain, was also the leading goal kicker with 52 goals. Nice. Um, the Dons had to fight hard to keep Len Webster as a player this season because Hawthorne wanted him as coach, but the uh, the Dons refused to clear him. Um, now, one <laughs> what of the did Webster de- think about it? Sorry? Yeah, Webster was okay with that? Uh, how'd he go? Like, well, he's owned, owned by the club, effectively, isn't he? Yeah, that's he? right. He wants to play. Um, debut- one of the debutants was uh, Tommy the Turk Lahif. That's right. None other than Tommy Lahiff. Now you might recognise. Yep. That's right. You might recognise his voice from some broadcasting he did after his career. But uh, um, he was famous, Tim, for um, on-field things as well. Just as I quickly find my notes about him, um, he was a rover. Ended up being in Port Melbourne's team of the century after he finished up with Essendon. So if you go down to the rooms there, you'll have his picture on the wall there too. Wow. Um, yes, but. Um, the, the broadcaster that he ended up being with was um, one called 3KZ, which, is, which started in 1930. And would you guess that what the radio station that is now? They're still going now. Well, my guess was Double TFM, but that doesn't exist now either. <laughs> and turns out, I, after clicking on it one time, with, so not very thorough research there, but um, it, it was Gold FM. So there you go. And... Um, yeah, so there you go. And he was he was doing doing that for quite some time. Mm. I wish I'd actually had more of a chance to actually listen to it. Tommy the Turk. Tommy the um, Turk. He played every single game for the, the uh, Dons as well, kicking 32 goals. Perfect. Other debutants were George Coward and George McCaulick as well. Um, opening round was a bright day for Essendon as well. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the scores in this game. I just love the um, way your voice lifts a bit when you talk yeah. about it. We kicked 24-15 against a hapless Melbourne, Melbourne side at the yeah. MCG. Oh, there's um, the joy. Ted Freya kicking 12 goals, which was an opening day record. Uh, I backlined that day. Our forward line obviously wasn't fraying. <laughs> um, round two. A three-point win over St Kilda at Windy Hill saw the Don second on the ladder. And after mm. five rounds and wins over Footscray and Hawthorne. They were fourth, but technically equal second. Great start for the Dons. Um, and then five successive lo- losses knocked them down the ladder, unfortunately. 
In round nine, Jack Vosti returned from two seasons at Footscray and played in their loss to South, which brought up his 100th game of football for the club. Um, the following week, he also played in the loss to Carlton, but that would be his last game of league football. Round 11, <laughs> Essendon managed to hold off a desperate North Melbourne to win by a point, with Dick Reynolds playing a serviceable game, being here, there and everywhere, even full forward. Shining one. Yeah, sounds and, like Dick. Yeah, to, and to end the season, round 18, they played Geelong. They were winning quite comfortably. And then during the third quarter, um, a miniature balloon seemed to sail across the ground, <laughs> dropping a collection of small of papers and small parachutes, causing hundreds of small schoolboys to storm the field and grab what they could. Police police chasing after them, crowds roaring with laughter. Uh, and this really put a hamper on to uh, Geelong's attempt at the comeback. Uh, Essendon winning that game in the end by 28 points. Fantastic. <laughs> Good shenanigans. You can picture those little kids. I know. Yeah. Um, Keith Forbes kicked all... Sorry, so you talked about Keith Forbes leading the goal kicking. Um, he kicked goals in all but... Round, this round seven game against Geelong. He finished with 52, as you said. Um, at the end of the season, the team realised they were the lightest team in the league and needed to recruit some solidly built players. So they got some of the skill and some yeah, building blocks there. Yeah. They just need a bit more bulk, a bit more mm. muscle to help protect those skinny, scrawny players around the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Lahef doing a good job in yeah. there, though. <laughs> so moving to seventh spot... Oh, seven floods, sorry, that was me. Um, Fitzroy with um, eight wins, one draw, and nine losses, 90.2%. Fitzroy just cannot oh. improve enough. Despite the champions they've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to speak about their champions a little bit later. Oh, cool. Um, and we're also going to speak about their coach, Percy Rowe, uh, their ah. captain, Charlie Cameron, and the leading goal kicker, Dennis Ryan, with 46 goals. Indeed. Um, so Percy Rowe, obviously coming across from, uh, well, had been a Collingwood player. And Charlie Cameron was a former shinboner in his second year with the team, now captain. Our newcomers included Swans Premiership player Gilbert Beard and Dennis Dinny Ryan, who had come down from Albury, um, playing for the same former team that now teammate Hayden Button had. Hmm. Uh, Frank Seymour came across from the VFA Premier Northcote. Um, and if you remember, Big Red actually told us about him in last season's episode. He actually kicked 130 goals in the mm. VFA 1934 season mm. um, however he wouldn't have the same effect in the VFL oh. unfortunately round one saw a superb open to the season with a win over St Kilda by two goals at the Junction Oval and this was followed by a draw against the old rivals Collingwood again at the Junction um, uh, sorry at Brunswick Street Oval I think Dinny Ryan playing in just his second game of the year of, of league football actually kicking five um, playing on the Prince of Fullbacks Jack Regan um, did you do any research on Dinny Ryan? Kelsey? No, I did not. Have you got some there? No. Um, I'm sure Moz will tell us about him in a few years. Yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> um, round six it was a heavy loss with Doug Nichols injuring himself and missing the next four games. Um, after the round seven defeat of Hawthorne, Frank Seymour was given a transfer back to his old VFA club, Northcote, as the Fitzroy committee decided he wasn't the right fit for them. Um, although Big Red assures me his talents don't go to waste and we'll hear more about him and his exploits in the VFA. Mm, cool. Um, but that just, again, shows the, I guess, the difference between the VFA and the VFL where you can one player can dominate one league but then come into the big league mm, mm. and not have the same effect, not, not find it as easy. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, not have a call-up. Um, round 10. Yeah. Impact. There was a lot. Fitzroy had a loss to Melbourne. Chicken Smallhorn injured his ankle and was replaced at half-time. 
Oh, uh, it was only later revealed he had a chipped shoulder bone. He'd missed the next three games. Charlie Cameron also severely cut his lip, requiring stitches. Um, but during the week, in a somewhat unexpected event, Charlie Cameron actually suffered a heart attack. Uh, Not he fatal. Okay. He didn't die, but he'd missed the next six games. Mm. <laughs> only six games. Only six okay, games. Thank goodness. Um, now, and I don't know if you've come across this. So either round three or 14 against Footscray, Hayden Bunton was said to have earned 45 kicks in a game. I've read that somewhere in this long chapter I'm flicking <laughs> through right now. Um, Not a miraculous year for him. but Supposedly averaging 35 <laughs> possessions a game, including 28 kicks. Ridiculous. Yeah, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, in round 13, Bunton kicked eight goals in a loss to Collingwood. Mm-hmm. Um, also, language warning here. Um, he was awarded the match ball. When one of the Collingwood players found out he was given the match ball, he said... So he should have been. He had the fucking thing on a, on a string. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's done it again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> round 17. Less than two months after suffering a heart attack, Fitzroy captain Charlie Cameron made his comeback against South Melbourne at Brunswick Street Oval in a match that saw Fitzroy push South all the way, ultimately going down by one point. Mm. But really the main story at Fitzroy this season was injuries. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Paul Bunton, he probably deserved a premiership. He deserved finals. Finals, he at least. played finals. Born for finals. Um, and altogether, it was uh, three Brownlows or something, wasn't it? So, we're we moving on? Yep. yep. In sixth yep. place, the mighty <laughs> Melbourne with eight wins, <laughs> one draw, nine losses, and their percentage is 101.2, Anna. 101.2. The demons. I like getting over the 100. Yeah, um, exactly. It's your favourite part of the ladder, isn't it? It is. I really enjoy looking at the percentages. <laughs> um, I thought you were having a crack. No, I'm, I'm being no, 100%. Like I'm being 101% 100, yeah. serious, Cass. Um, Melbourne's captain was Colin Niven, and the coach was Frank Checker Hughes. Yeah. Uh, the leading goal kicker was Maury Gibb. Is that yes. how I pronounce that? Yeah. I assume so. Not the BGs. Maury. Maury. Mm. Not Maury. Maury. Yeah. Maury. <laughs> 59 goals for Maury Gibb. Yes. Now we have some big debutantes. Well, one specifically huge mm. debutante. Um, Ray Wartman was one debutante, but yeah. probably not the debutante we want to talk about. Yeah, I've got another not the one we're talking about. You can all guess out there who it is we're building up to. But first of all, Gordon Jones, one of the Ruckman who is playing all through this successful era, debuted um, in that very unspectacular game where Essendon absolutely thrashed us, yes. but he said that he rucked extremely well. Yeah. So take that, Essendon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the player we are referring to is none other than the mighty Norm Smith, um, known for his work in the forward line. Um, they used to say that he just made the forward line work around him. And that uh, his that that kind of um, really cool-headedness was the way that uh, they were able to make that function really well. He wasn't kicking bags and bags and bags all the time. You've got your Gordon Cumber trees and your and some other Melbourne forward line is so fantastic, but he was there the ultimate and consummate team player. And I'm sure that we'll hear more about him in the future as he goes on, obviously, to become great coach of Melbourne. Um, but uh, with Checker Hughes turning Melbourne into a more professional side. You've got um, players like Norm Smith um, absolutely flourishing. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why we he, his name is spoken of the way that it is. Mm. Mm. Uh, so there you go. I mean, we could say more. Um, Australian Football Hall of Fame and Melbourne Hall of Fame. Um, six VFL premierships. Um, and so um, also... As a coach... 
he, I'm just reading here, he played 44 games in the reserves before breaking through to the seniors in this season. So he must mm. have been on the team's list for a few seasons, I'm guessing. Mm. I believe that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he debuted in 1935, played through till 1948. And a couple of, of course, a couple of little years at Fitzroy and um, representing Victoria, um, coached Fitzroy and Melbourne and South Melbourne. Yeah, says here. So, leave a little bit of space there for Charlie to do his fine work and tell us a bit more. He's read the Red Fox book. Get, yeah. get out there and have a read of that. Who wrote that again? Uh, ben something. Yep, uh, by Ben Collins. Um, really, really good read. Um, and looking forward to hearing more about Marty Norm Smith. Oh, he he'll be around for a long time. <laughs> We're talking about him. All right, so before the season, Melbourne lost 10 players and they went into the season with only five players who had more than five years of experience. Ooh. So, I mean, really an inexperienced team when you think about it. So they've done pretty well. That, yeah. Um, obviously, round one, we talked about that game where they lost to Essendon. In round two, they had a poor game against Geelong um, where Geelong were dragged down to Melbourne's level and inaccurate kip- kicking kept them in the game until the last quarter when they launched a furious assault on the Pivotonians in the last term, led by nine goals from Maury Gibb. Their accurate kicking, including two posters. <laughs> round three, the Demons broke... So, good. so they lost that round two game as well. Um, round three, they broke through for their first win of the season with a five-goal victory over Hawthorne. Round seven, they played North Melbourne at Arden Street and scores were tight at half-time, which they yeah. shouldn't be when you're playing a team at the bottom like North Melbourne. So See, that deserved a spray at halftime from Jackie Hughes. Uh, the D's proving they were a far superior team during the third quarter, playing unselfish football, which then caused North to put an extra man around the ball and stem the tide. However, a six-goal three to one point last quarter resulted in a big win to the Demons. Can we, Jeff- get, can we get someone else to read the Melbourne one next time? <laughs> <laughs> Just don't believe. We need it's as many sincere. wins as we can get. I'll, I'll put some more energy into it then. <laughs> um, no, no, did you ever get any sprays from the coach in your playing days? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Like, absolute. Not, not. Attack the ball. Yeah. Attack. Mm. I'm trying. Yeah, I attacked it as best <laughs> I could. I'm really tired. <laughs> All right, guys, here's a good one for you. Round 10 at Brunswick Street against Fitzroy. Right. As soon as the ball was bounced, Les Jones, that mighty D's player, went to Hayden Button and ran with him for the whole day, effectively shutting him down. Yes. Mighty D's won by 19 points with Bennett and Glass kicking five each. Maury Gibb four. Really good game when you can shut down a champion player like Hayden Bunton. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a bit better. Okay. Round 15. <laughs> after many games in the reserves, Norm Smith was selected to start as a reserve. Oh, no. In the first minute of that, of that game, Gordon Jones uh, broke his ankle, giving Norm Smith his debut. No, we just, we just brought him up. He yeah. was a debut as well. All right. Um, now, something I wanted to share with you about Norm Smith's first game. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the quote from his lovely book, The Red Fox. The first chance I had for a kick in league football was in front of the MCC members stand. I tried to run around my mark and Basil McCormick grabbed me and I lost the ball. Uh, it's hard to say how silly I felt, but that's what nerves do. And I can understand it when newcomers make the same mistake. Does he have faith? Mm. I like that. That's a... Uh it's a good sign for for a future coach to understand the nerves of, of playing football. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> Melbourne might have won if they hadn't been as wasteful in front of goal, oh, uh, uh, kicking out on the full seven times when shooting at goal. Richmond beat them by only seven points. Ah, oh, brutal. Seven on the fools. Mm. Ridiculous. <laughs> Round sixteen, 
Melbourne had not won at Victoria Park since 1921. Do you have to put so much emphasis in it? They hadn't, be- <laughs> hadn't beaten Collingwood since the 1926 <laughs> grand final, but remember 26, guys? Remember how happy we all were there? <laughs> Came, no one expected us to beat Mel- uh, Melbourne to beat Collingwood. Um, hadn't beaten them since, though. Um, this is the closest they'd come in a long time. It wasn't a win, but it wasn't a loss. They had a draw. Um, they were poor early in this game. They gradually gained control in the ruck, and their forwards were in better form than the opposition. A stirring last quarter fight back almost won the game with Ron Baggett kicking one goal eight at one point. He went on to restoring his reputation with a kicking a kick for goal on the bell, which tied the scores from a tight angle, eventually kicking four goals nine. Mm. Um, so despite not advancing their position on the ladder since the previous year, the committee declared the season a success um, and they finished with their highest percentage, Anna, in six years. Well done. Yeah. Fitzroy? Melbourne. Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Your <laughs> team. I was listening. In the next position on the ladder, one spot out of finals. <laughs> is uh, um, the mighty Saint Kilda really, really knocking on the door now? Finals with 11 wins and seven losses, 110.6%, doing everything right, Saint Kilda. Yeah. Go St. Gilda. Come on. Um, captained by Clary Hinson. Um, <laughs> coached by Dan Minogue. And the top goal scorer was Bill Moore yeah. on 83 goals. Yeah, big goal a lot kicker. of goals. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so Colin Watson was starting to get a little bit sick of having to play. He was complaining that he had to pay people to um, feed his cows and, and do his farming because he lived in Warrnambool. So he didn't train a lot and he was going back and forth a lot and he didn't really have his heart in it. Mm. Um, he gave up on coaching, handing the reins over to Dan Minogue, who came across from Carlton, mm-hmm. hired at the end of the previous year. Um, and although Colin Watson retained the captaincy to start with, um, this was only because Bill Moore and Billy Roberts didn't want the captaincy. Round one, Colin Watson let the team out against Fitzroy, which was a game Fitzroy won by two goals. Colin Watson didn't play well, probably because he hadn't trained, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. However, in the following week, he wrote to the club tendering his resignation. They reluctantly cleared him to play for South Warrnambool. His letter reading, I am retiring from league football with very pleasant memories of my association with the present committee, and I wish you continued success this season. My reason for applying for a clearance is to help young players of my old club, where St Kilda have recruited many... Uh, players and may require many more. Keeping the St Kilda bloodline going there sort of thing. Yeah. So Clary Hinton took over as captain from um, Colin Watson. And Colin Watson obviously being a former Brownlow medalist as well. I know the, the second ever Brownlow medalist, but yeah. surrounded in a bit of controversy as well. Mm-hmm. Who, who did Colin Watson play for? When St he Kilda. Okay, a, cool. Yeah, he played for St Kilda for <sighs> two or three seasons, oh. won the Brownlow, but then didn't play for like the next six. He went back to Warrnambool. Oh, or maybe yeah. he went to Stall actually. And there was a big dispute. The league blocked mm. him from playing because he didn't get a clearance. Mm. So we didn't... I don't. I feel like we didn't see the full potential of Colin Watson. He mm. had a lot and could have yeah. done great things in the league and, yeah, and didn't. Yeah, a bit like St Kilda. they got so much potential. <laughs> yeah. um. Although um, Russell Holmesby ranks him quite high in the list of top 10 or top, top St Kilda players, mm. which surprises mm. me. Uh, round yeah. three nice. in St Kilda's five-point win over Geelong at Junction Oval, which is a, a venue Geelong just can't seem to be able to win at, the crowd were treated to a halftime entertainment of a stock whipper 
and a Scottish piper in full uniform. <laughs> I'm not that sure what a combo. I know. Yeah. At the same time or half-half? Yeah. Yeah. Half? yeah, amazing. Uh, at the halfway mark of the season, the club sat at four and four, and this was enough for Dan Minogue to be given a contract extension. In round 12, the Saints had probably their best win in a long time with a 20-point win over reigning premiers Richmond. Ooh, at nice. Junction Oval, Billy Moore started, starred by kicking five goals. They then had wins over Fitzroy, Essendon, Geelong and Hawthorne and suddenly they'd won five in a row and were only percentage out of the top four. Um, they had a loss to Carlton at Princess Park, which is where they could never really win. And the Saints had to rely on others to make finals in round 18. So they, this, this is the formula. They had to wallop Collingwood by 15 or 16 goals mm-hmm. uh, and rely on Richmond losing. And unfortunately, Collingwood really taught the Saints a lesson, killing the contest in the first quarter, only holding mm. the Saints to three points. Um, the final margin was 15 points, which flattered them, but um, they couldn't do enough to win that game or win by 15 or 16 goals. So, yes. therefore, missed out on finals just. But as a St Kilda supporter, you'd be pretty happy with that turnaround and what Dan Minogue's done with the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they didn't play Collingwood, they could have played, well, who knows, maybe someone else. And yeah, then, yeah. Mm. luck of the draw. All right, Kaz, and to finish off, I've got a, uh, a St Kilda poem or a club song here, if you will. It reads like this. Uh, why are we happy and why do we grin? Because old St Kilda is going to win. We're going to beat the Tigers, the Magpies and the Blues. With a man like Dan Minogue's coach, we cannot lose. Why are we happy and why are we gay? Because St Kilda's going to show them how to play. Let them all make their excuses. Let them all make their complaints. But who will be the Premier team this year? Why the good old Saints? Give them a cheer, boys. They're going to strive to be, premiers, to be the Premier team in 1935. Ha, take that. Yeah. So moving up into fourth place, playing finals, Richmond. Bit unusual to see them in fourth. 12 wins, six losses, 117.4%. Mm-hmm. Captained, so, sorry, Kaz. No, no, no. Captained and coached by Percy Bentley, and Jack Titus was the leading goal scorer with 80. Three goals. Oh, yeah. I was, I was yeah. got confused for a second thinking I just read the same name, but no, 83, yep. same as Bill Moore. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, one of the, a debutant for Richmond with a great name, Bill Ripper. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Now, um, pre-season, Richmond and South Melbourne actually played in a practice match under lights mm. at the uh, Motor Dome, which is now known as Olympic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, a crowd of 25,000 attended, and Sid Sharon provided two white footballs for the game. Mm. Wow, of course. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Till they get muddy. Yes. <laughs> now, round one, Richmond had a good win. Round two, um, they the premiership pennant was unfurled by who? Who, do we, who unfurls the pennants? The president's, president's wife. wife. President's wife, Mrs. B. Herbert, unfurled the flag against North Melbourne. Ray Martin and Skinny Titus kicked four goals each in this game. However, Jack Baggett re-injured his wrist and would miss the next five games. Uh, round four, Skinny Titus kicked eight against Melbourne at Punt Road in a six-goal win. Yeah. Our back line's terrible. Okay. Right, I didn't say it. Round seven, <laughs> South Melbourne defeated Richmond by 46 points at Punt Road. Um, and if, do you remember the last two seasons we've had South Melbourne going to Richmond when they won and then Richmond went to South Melbourne... At the after the grand finals, mm-hmm. in this game, South players started yelling "Eat them alive!" after the game, kind of taunting them. <laughs> There's a little bit of that happening between these two teams. Um, it's Richmond's first loss at Punt Road since they were defeated by South in 1932. So a league record 24 consecutive home games. 
Um, Round 12, in the early hours of Saturday, July 13th, the old pavilion that was built in 1865 burnt down, including all ground maintenance equipment, um, thinking was that a cigarette started the blaze. Firemen had to run hoses across the ground to the nearest hydrant, which was about a a, a kilometre away. Mm -hmm. The fire took over an hour to extinguish, and the water used to extinguish the blaze um, soddens the area around the ground and the grandstand. And as a result, the game against the Tricolours was a huge slog. The Tigers still having win- winning this by 77 points. Mm, but during the week, they can't train because of the heavy turf, so they train at the Motor Dome. Mm. Okay. And round 18, South Melbourne easily defeats Richmond in the last round at Albert Park at Lakeside Oval. Uh, but with St Kilda's capitulation to Collingwood, Richmond wins a place in the finals. Joe Murdoch, however, uh, fractures his jaw and cheek. Remained on the ground, though, because Basil McCormack was already off with a sprained ankle and Ray Martin suffered a rib injury. So Richmond <sighs> limping into the finals for their oh. defence of their premiership flag here. The main goal kickers. <laughs> yeah, well, Skinny Titus is still there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, third place, Carlton, with 14 wins, one draw, three losses, 141.6%, the highest percentage of the team. Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah. That's high. Yeah. Um, captained by Charlie Davey. Coached by Frank Mayer. Ma. Ma. Yeah. And the leading goal scorer was Soapy. 66 goals. Soapy Valance. Soapy Valance. Heard um, that name a few times. Yeah. I wonder if Frank Ma has any relation to Andy Ma, because he's a, he's a massive Carlton supporter, isn't he? Andy Ma, text <laughs> us and t- tweet us, please. Following the 1934 season and six years of frustration at not winning flags, Dan Minogue was told to look elsewhere for a job. They, they made finals in every single year, but they just couldn't get the job done. That's right. So Carlton announced Frank Marr is non-playing coach. However, Fitzroy had already announced that Marr would be their 1935 coach, despite Marr not even actually applying for the Fitzroy job. <laughs> <laughs> On the 21st of Feb in 1935, Oakley, where Marr had previously been coaching, refused his clearance to Carlton as they had cleared him to Fitzroy in October. Hmm. Um, they now intended him to be their coach for the year. Um, they also were disappointed that Carlton had gone directly to the coach without asking the club's permission to interview him. Ma, however, was adamant he would not return to Oakley and would reapply for another clearance if necessary. This impasse continued until the 7th of March when Oakley finally relented and permitted the clearance. And it wasn't until the 15th of March that Fitzroy cleared him to coach Carlton. So what a palaver just to get him cleared as coach. <laughs> Um, among the new faces at training were Cleet Turner from Fitzroy, Norm Lebrun from Collingwood, and young Tyros. Why have I written young Tyros? Rod McLean and Harry Hollingshead. Hollingshead. <laughs> yes. There were rumours pre-season that Sophie Valance actually wanted out of the club and had asked for a uh, transfer. Mm. Um, Carlton responded to, responded to this by naming him at full forward for the uh, opening game. Oh, is that what you do? Oh, I suppose yeah. they're professionals, so... Um, round two so round one they lost close game to Geelong round two saw the Blues get their first win despite woeful kicking 14 goals 27 111 beating the Hawks by 51 points round three Charlie Davey captain of Carlton will long remember that game it was his 26th birthday and he led Carlton to victory over Richmond in a match marked by exceptional vigour and played before a crowd of around 35,000 um, Davies' health was drunk in the club rooms after the game. Frank Gill, the team's fullback, was given a grand exhibition of marking until he was obliged to leave the field in the second quarter as two of his teeth were loosened and his lips were split on both sides of his mouth. Oh, yuck. Six stitches nah. were inserted into the wound and Gill was 
likely was going to miss the next few matches. Um, round four, despite a loss to South Melbourne on a bright and stunning day, an equally stunning debut by Clen Denning, who was a late inclusion to the side. He had four goals up until quarter time and finished with six. That's right, and it was his debut this yes. year. And that's my two cents. Did you know anything about Clen Denning? No, there's not much else to know about <laughs> He ends up, ends up crossing over to Fitzroy. Okay. But yeah, notable for the uh, first six kicks uh, were six goals. First six kicks. Absolutely beautiful way to start. Um, was it, so where, where was he started? Did you say In where he was? Round four was his first game. Yeah, um, obviously full forward. Right? Okay. Okay, I can't, I can't tell where he was. Round, uh, well, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where Some back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> round nine, Carlton defeated the previously unbeaten Collingwood at Princess Park with scores level at halftime. Um, eight goals to three after halftime and five goals to Soapy Valance won the game. Um, as a side note, though, umpire Blackburn had a tough day. To begin with, in the first quarter, a dog entered the field of play and wouldn't leave. <laughs> um, so Blackburn, the umpire, caught the dog with his left hand and kind of dragged it to the side, but the dog bit him oh, on the way out, no. and he was visibly affected by that. Oh. Um, he was also suffering the effects of the flu before he even started the game, causing him to be late out after half time. And finally, at the Better. end of the ground, to top that all off, he was booed by the Collingwood supporters... Uh, because they didn't think he'd umpired well, even though reports said he was fine. That's just a Collingwood thing, I suppose, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Was Blackburn the umpire in 34 who, who um, Bunton had said that comment to, that well, lost in the brown? I'm pretty sure it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he had a bad, a bad run. <laughs> um, between rounds 8 and 13, the Blues won six games in a row. In round 14, Richmond brought the Blues back to earth, though, with a 15-point win in greasy, sloppy conditions. Um, now another fun little fact for you, fun little anecdote. Early August at Princess Park, the New Zealand rugby team played Victoria in front of a crowd of 16,000 people. Um, leading up to this match, there was discussion about who the better goal kickers were, rugby players or Australian rules football players. Ooh. And so a goal kicking exhibition was suggested. Um, so Miles Hyland from the university rugby team took part and the and Soapy Valance did for the Australian rules league. Okay. Um, Hyland kicked with the rugger ball which is longer than the Australian one, and the Carlton Ford had the Australian rules ball. Uh, Valance kicked from a distance of 50 to 80 yards and gave a brilliant exhibition of straight and angled kicking, kicking uh, scoring seven goals from seven tries. Um, one of his drop punts with the wind reached about 80 yards. Uh, Highland, Miles Highland, was not at all happy and failed to register a goal. Most of his shots just failed to get over the bar. Oh, oh dear, okay. Take that, rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, round 15, Carlton returned to the winners list with a 41-point win over a weakened South Melbourne side who were sitting top of the table, um, but they were missing six, six of their best players from this game. Um, before the match, Soapy Valance was presented with a silver-mounted football in recognition of the feats from the week before from that goal-kicking contest. Nice. Um, and easy wins against North and Footscray saw them head into the finals full of confidence. Um, they had the highest-scoring aggregate in league history this season as well. Mm-hmm. And that is the mighty Carlton. So second place Collingwood with 14 wins, two draws, like we said um, uh, down before, one of them being with Footscray. And two losses, 121.4%. Very good year for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And led by Harry Collier as the, as the captain, Jock McHale as the coach, and Gordon Coventry with 88 goals. Um, so a change in captain there, though, with Sid Coventry retiring at the end of the previous season. Mm. And this is Jock McHale's 25th year as coach, Anna. Woo! Anniversary. Um, 
Harry Collier named as captain with his brother Albert Collier as a vice captain. So a worthy uh, replacement for uh, mm. Sid Coventry there. Mm. New, addition, new additions to this team included Marcus Boyle, Pat Fricker, Keith Stackpole, Ron Todd, and Bevan Woods. Mm. Got anything oh. for us, guys? Oh. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, round one. In a packed to the brim Victoria Park, the Pies played South Melbourne and got away to a great start, kicking five goals one to one goal five. This game was high, fly, high scoring. Uh, South rallied in the third. In the dying minutes of the match, South Melbourne clung to a four-point win before Collingwood's Lou Riley swept the ball down the flank to kick the winning goal on the siren. Big one. Round two. I was just ready for what was next. Yeah. Round two. On this, the Silver Jubilee of George V's holiday. So... George the Fifth holiday, and they usually what they they postpone games and stuff like that in the past for a ceremonial thing. Yeah, so it was so, George, George oh. the Fifth birthday or, or fifth silver jubilee. So what's that a birthday? Is that know. the reign? How how long he's been king for? Possibly. I think the jubilee. I think that's what a jubilee is. I don't okay. know how many years yes, that you're is. Probably right. Uh, it, it, uh, excuse me. This game a, was played on a public holiday anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the Pies chased Fitzroy all day. They kicked the last. How Collingwood kicked the last six goals of the match to be within a, a kick. The bell echoed to end the game, Kaz. Mm. But the umpire hadn't heard it quite enough and paid a kick to Alan Ginger Ryan. And we all know what that's going to mean. The crowd rushed the field. (laughs) Hundreds blocking the path to goal. So the police had to come out and and, uh, clear a path. Ginger Ryan was really concentrating on kicking this goal. He he took Mm. a step and then a horse ran across his path. The police horse (laughs) took off. Uh, But he was so focused, he just reset himself. He went back and he kicked the ball. It sailed through the air and scored a goal, um, <laughs> tying the game at 14 goals, nine each. Wow, some <laughs> movie. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we know last year there was a goal scored off a boy's head. Yeah. So luckily that didn't oh, happen again. Right. We're all familiar. Mm. Now we've got to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And quick side note, I had a quick Google. A silver jubilee is 25th That's anniversary it. of the accession to the throne. Ah, Thank you. Yeah. It was. Um, following the shock draw, they rattled on six wins in a row in fairly convincing fashion. Round six, they played former captain Sid Coventry's new team, Footscray, who said, look, guys, don't be surprised if we beat you. <laughs> the Pies won by 51 points. Sid, Sid's brother, uh, Gordon, kicked nine goals, <laughs> including his 1,100th goal oh, of his career. Wow. Cool. Uh, mid-season, the club decided to replicate what they'd done in Sid Coventry's first year of captaincy, which was to take a team trip. Oh. And they went up to New South Wales and Queensland and played a series of exhibition games in Brisbane and Newcastle and I think in Sydney as well against South Melbourne. And um, the team had, Collingwood had done this in 1927 and had to really bond a team and get them to know each other. Mm. Um, and that worked really successfully for them then, so I feel like they were trying to replicate that and, and let... Um, let Harry Collier kind of take his team that way and get to know his team. Yeah, right. uh, with five wins and another draw against Melbourne, Collingwood grabbed the double chance with strong commanding play. Another highlight being Sid Coventry, uh, Gordon Coventry's nine goals and a win over Geelong, and then backing it up with eight against Essendon the week later. Um, a mixture of uh, youth and experience really doing wonders here at Collingwood. Um, the, the machine's been kind of rebuilt pretty quickly mm. here mm-hmm. from what it was I mean they won the premiership in 1930 not yep. that long ago yep. they haven't really had to bottom out they've, they've, they've had the one bad once. year yeah, yeah. Mm. amazing great yeah. effort um, so 
That leaves us with South Melbourne at the top of the table this year with 16 wins and two losses, 137.6%. Mm. And Solid. the captain coach, Jack Bissett, how fab would it be to be the captain and the coach of <laughs> the team finishing top of the ladder? Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be great. And Bob Pratt with a whopping 103 goals. Whoa. Which is, I mean, that's 47 less than he kicked last season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They got the one for last season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, with this team, several players left because of lack of opportunity because they brought in so many outside players. Um, Hugh McLaughlin even came to blows with Jack Bissett and was released to Footscray. Mm. Ozzie Bertrand went to St Kilda. Ron Hollis, their champion fullback, trained with Fitzroy um, because he missed selection in the previous year's grand final but did end up playing the season. Um, several youngsters were also kind of brought into this team, including Rowley Flynn, Jack Graham and Roy Moore. Um, and as I said, pre-season, they played that practice game against Richmond at the Motor Dome. Mm. Round one, they lost that game in the final minutes to Collingwood. In that game, Laurie Nash, um, their champion centre-half forward, kicked five goals, eight. Mm. And from that point on, they went on a 12-game winning streak, starting with a win over Footscray in round two. Uh, it included a seven-point win over Carlton, smashing Fitzroy by 81 points, and a revenge victory over Richmond by 46 points, where they were all saying, "Hit him alive!" <laughs> <laughs> Round 12, South scored a 53-point win over Collingwood at Lakeside Oval, with Bob Pratt kicking his only double-digit bag for the season with 10. Oh, you mentioned yeah, a bit spaced out. Um, you mentioned um, Roy Moore. Um, his, he, it was his debut this year. Yep. Um, you said, and uh, he had to replace um, Bob Pratt. Um, in the oh, why? Uh, why well, no spoilers, but anyway, in the grand final, oh. um, uh, he kicked two goals in the grand final. But we'll, talk, we'll probably have to talk about my, that, that more later. Um, and then he play, there's a couple of other highlights, but um, yeah, just something for him this year. Nice. Um, round 14 and 15 were spread out because of the state carnival. So South also travelled up the east coast for those games against Collingwood in Brisbane mm-hmm. and Newcastle. However, they decided not to take a boot stutter. And a lot of their players returned with injuries, um, some to their ankles. This included Bob Pratt, Laurie Nash, and Jock oh, McKenzie. Gosh. Yeah, so actually didn't did them a bit of a disservice there. It was announced on the Thursday prior to their next game against Carlton that th- those three would be missing, and then before the game, three more were not would declared not playing either. And it was no surprise they lost this game to Carlton by forty-one points. Mm-hmm. They don't mind trying new things, though, do they? No. And this could be could be risky, and sometimes they don't work like out. There's a bit of arrogance about them as well, even though they haven't they've only won the one premiership. That they kind of just expect this is all going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Uh, round then they won their last three games, beating Geelong, Fitzroy, and Richmond. Bob Pratt kicking seven, one, and four goals. Um, and look, the premiership was theirs for the taking. In round seventeen, they played Fitzroy. One of their players, uh, Brighton Diggins, was a, reported three times in this game. <laughs> Firstly, for an accidental elbow on umpire Scott, um, oh. also for bumping into him, so it was like a double double report. In the third time, and he had umpire Scott had had a pretty bad game in this game. Um, as umpire Scott was bringing the ball back into the middle of the ground in the third quarter, <laughs> yeah. he said to him, "You are the world's worst umpire." Oh, <laughs> and he got recorded for that. <laughs> However, Just he, that, like that. <laughs> yep. He um he didn't re- he didn't miss any matches though he re- received a reprimand for the uh, the elbow to the the back I think and that was it. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So that's the season proper. Let's head around the grounds quickly and check in with Big Red and see how uh, things are going around Australia. Big Red's local footy roundup or your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day kick team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1935 season of football from around this great country. In a shortened version of the roundup this week, we first take a look at the Sandful, where the 1935 Premiership has been won by South Adelaide. In a close high-scoring game, South Adelaide have beaten Port Adelaide by 8 points in front of 27,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval. The final scores for the game were South Adelaide 15-9-99 to Port Adelaide 13-13-91. Ken Farmer has won the Sandville Goal Kicking Award for the sixth season in a row with 128 goals and the McGarry Medal was won by first-time winner Jack Cockbourne from uh, South Adelaide, making it a great individual season for him. To the Waffle, where West Perth have beaten Subiaco by 23 points to secure their seventh premiership. The final scores for this game were West Perth 11-8-74 to Subiaco's 7-9-51 in the last ever grand final that was played at the Perth Oval. The leading goal kicker for the Waffle season was George Doig for the third season in a row with 113 goals for the season. His highest games tally for this season was 12 goals in a game, following from his record-breaking 18 goals in a game in the previous season. The Sandover medal was shared in the 1935 Waffle season by Lou Daly from Subiaco and George Krepp from Swan Districts. In the VFA, Yarraville won their first premiership since joining the competition in 1928. Northcote were again the dominant side of the 1935 VFA season, but ran out of luck in the finals, losing both of their games. The grand final was played between Yarraville and Camberwell in a close nine-point win for the Yarraville side at Turak Park in front of 14,000 fans. The final scores were 10-10-70 to Yarraville and 8-13-61 to Camberwell. Bill Luff from Camberwell was a leading goal kicker for the season with 75 goals and Jim Dowling from Brunswick and F. Brooks from Williamstown both shared the association medal in the 1935 season and the win was Jim Dowling's uh, gave him consecutive medals in the VFA association medals. Other major winners from around the country included Uni Blacks in the Vaffa and Launceston winning their third premiership in a row down in Tasmania. And that wraps up the roundup for the 1935 season. Until next time, kick straight. Thank you, Big Red. Always a delight to hear from you. Um, and that gets us to the Brownlow Downlow. The Brownlow Downlow with Moz. All right. The Brownlow Downlow. So, been saying this name a few times, but this year Hayden Bunton does indeed win his third Brownlow medal. Wow. The first triple Brownlow medalist. So, a little well done to Hayden. He nearly reached that last year, but due to circumstances. It could have been four. It could have been four. Yeah. Has anyone ever won four? No. So, yeah. He deserved it. Once again, he was renowned for being an absolute gun. So quick. A yeah. winner of the ball. Mm. Um, lots of other good midfielders as well this, this era. Yeah. Lots of other good midfielders. This year, the new coach, Roe, um, decided to start Hayden um, as a ruck rover. Now, this was years before Ron Barassi was credited for inventing that position. But I've got a quote here from Roe that um, explains exactly what he wanted Bunton to be doing. And it goes as follows. 
We intend to have one hard as nails follower to take the knocks in the ruck and force the ball out. He'll need to be fast too. We'll have a nippy rover and we'll also have the peerless Bunton in the ruck as a sort of second rover to use his own discretion whether to fly for the ball, stand down or scout on the fringe. He can then dash off with the ball or flash it to a comrade. That'll be making the widest and most intelligent use of Bunton's brain and physique. So that's pretty much exactly what Bunton did for the majority of the season. He won a lot of the ball. Absolutely love him about the way that he actually won. Yeah, yeah. so interesting. And there's oh, so many fantastic quotes in this particular... <laughs> I've got a few books lined up under me, but this particular book, Hayden Bunton, Best and Fairest by Chris Donald, is fantastic. Um, in round five, and Tim already sort of hinted at this, there was an injury with when Bunton and his teammate Len Stott had a huge collision. I've got a couple more quotes from the both of them just here. <laughs> Flipping to my page like Kaz does from time to time. <laughs> um, oh. One time I do some research yeah. <laughs> and I stuff it. <laughs> oh, I've lost my little quote. I'll come back to that. But um, it was something like this. It was, it was a great little quote. It was from both of them. I'll find it. But uh, Bunton ended up injuring his right shoulder, I believe. And he played on. This was in the first quarter. They collided. Bunton played on, played all through the second quarter, but he wasn't doing his magical, magical plays like he usually did. And then reluctantly was told to get off the ground for the second <laughs> half. And he missed the following game as well. Um, he had torn a ligament in his shoulder or partially torn a ligament. So he was, yeah, he was not good. But then he played the rest of the season, ended up winning with 25 Brownlow votes. The runner-up, uh, the runner-up, Keith Forbes, finishing on 17 votes. So a huge win yeah, for Bunton. Yeah, eight, eight votes. Huge, yeah. yeah. And then Keith Shea coming in third with 16 votes from Carlton. Mm. Mm. Do you think he had a... a like, do you think he was determined to win the Brownlow after missing it last season as well? Do you oh. think that drove him? Yeah, I reckon. I would be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wants the club to go well as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and obviously. But that's one of the, the downsides of his career is he never yeah. played in a premiership. Yeah. Tore the ligaments of his right... Oh, here we go. I've, I've located the quote on page 108. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it says here... When Hayden Bunton and his teammate Len Stott crashed into each other in the first quarter, they were rattled to their foundations. As they arose, Len asked a question and told his story all in one breath when he said, Are you hurt? I think I'm going to die. (laughs) Hayden said, That's how I feel, so let's have a double funeral. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Then it says, Living up to Percy Rowe's doctrine of not letting the other side know when you're hurt, they both carried on playing for as long as they could. Um... Yeah, so Bunton did it again. Wow. And huge, huge. Huge, 25 votes. Mm. All right, that gets us to the finals. 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 Finals for everyone. Well, no. Finals for a select four. We can't say it anymore. No, there was a time when everyone made finals. but They were the happy days. Um, In the first final on the 14th of September, Carlton played Richmond again. I feel like these two teams are playing all the time. In finals, Richmond <laughs> defeated Carlton in the semi-final by 21 points before 49,759 spectators at the MCG. 
Gordon, Str Gordon Strang is reputed to have taken 28 marks in this game. Jack Titus kicked five goals, taking his season tally to 80... Was it 82 or 83? 80... Uh, uh, 82. And I think he yep. has another yeah, one in the next game. Before, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and he'll add one more. But So this is a club record as well. This would be the sixth time in a row that Carlton has been beaten by Richmond in the finals as well. Well, that's rough. Yeah. But also good for... Oh, yeah, I hate Carlton, so that's fine with yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the following week, the semi-final South Melbourne played Collingwood. In this game, Bob Pratt kicked six goals, his fourth of the match bringing up his 100th of the season. The game was tight, a goal in it at halftime. However, in the third, Nash and Bob Pratt let loose. Uh, they kicked six goals, well, the team kicked six goals, and the defence of South's Ron Hills was another crucial factor in helping hold back Collingwood. South Melbourne advancing to their third grand final in three years with a 21-point victory over Collingwood. Mm meaning that Collingwood would now have to play Richmond in the preliminary final at the MCG on the 28th of September. It's working out for the bookies as well. It is. <laughs> um, look, so a really tough first half. 6-5 um, to 6-8 at halftime. 46,191 people at the G to watch this game. But the second half play of Percy Bauer, Marcus Whelan and LB Panham saw the Magpies sweep through the Tigers' defence in the second half and run away with the game. Jack Regan played his best game of his career keeping Titus in check early on oh. he was then moved to centre half back on Jack Dyer um, and from this point on Captain Blood really faded out of the game mm. so Collingwood won that game by 28 points to advance to their first grand final since 1930 in the rooms afterwards the following war cry was heard yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not sure by who it, just, it was just heard uh, tradition is your key word and tradition never dies and win or lose you'll always put the game before the prize Sustain that fighting spirits, lad. Uphold the club's good name and honour those immor immortal words. Play up and play the game. Glorious. Take that back to the rooms, Anna. I'll take it back. And now we, uh, we get to grand final week where things are going smoothly. Um, however... Regan's really, like, really ascending now, isn't he? Great in finals... You know, stopping some of the greatest forwards that have been. He is going towards uh, earning his nickname of Prince of Fullbacks. Prince. Mm. He, what is he now? It's just, he no, just he's just on his way. Uh, Reg Reg Regal? Regal. Regal Regan. Regal Regan. 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 Yeah. Um, See, that's why I don't come up with a name. But as I alluded to in the show's intro, one of the biggest grand final week stories of all time is about to occur. <gasps> what was that sound? That is the sound of a tram. Oh, um, tell us more. So here's the story. On the Thursday before the grand final, Bob Pratt was doing his weekly stop by. Oh, no. Um, he had a few errands to um, run. This is the story he told later in the 90s. He explained he worked for The Star, which was an evening newspaper published by the Argus. And as a representative, he would call on news agents to ascertain how many papers they'd sold. If they had enough papers to meet demand, whether they delivered on time or so on. Uh, lunchtime on that on Fridays, he generally called at the railway, ro railway Hotel, which was run by South Melbourne's chairman of selectors, Bob Powell. Um, but he wouldn't have a drink because it was a Friday and he'd have a game on, obviously. So he'd, he'd stop in for a yarn. Uh, he'd be doing that for, for a long time. So that, uh, before the grand final, uh, Archie Crofts asked him not to go to the hotel. Instead, Pratt, who lived on Highbury Grove in Paran, went home for lunch. On his return home, he arrived at the tram stop in High Street. What's that sound again, Tim? <laughs> um, What's going on? And 
the tram was coming. It had just pulled up to the stop. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and Bob Pratt took a step forward off the curb, didn't actually look that the cars had stopped, and a car hadn't stopped. Mm. A brick truck carrying many, many bricks well, failed to stop. see the pram stop and actually ploughed into um, Bob Pratt. Not badly. Um, it resulted in a sprained right angle, a lacerated leg, an injured left foot, and a badly bruised and swollen thumb. Oh, man, um, just gotten out of the way. Pratt said of this, I didn't see him till he practically hit me. I just jumped <sighs> up out of the way of the truck, but he caught my leg, tore the leg out of my trousers and heel of my shoe, and threw me across the bonnet. Oh, oh that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, the truck was being driven by a Swan supporter as well, C.L. Peters. Oh, uh, Who was so uh, shocked by this, he actually went and visited Bob Pratt that night and offered him a packet of cigarettes as a sorry. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. um, and interestingly, once he had cooled down after he was hit by the truck, um, he actually walked home. And that's and from then on, that's when he started to let people know that he was injured. Um, and the reaction in the South Melbourne local newspaper was quite interesting as well. This is what this is the headline or the the uh, start. The initial attack of the inhabitants of Adawa in Abyssinia by Mussolini's invading army upon Emperor Haile Selassie is no greater shock than that received by South Melbourne Football Club officials when they learned that Bob Pratt had been involved in a collision with a motor truck. <laughs> so similar. So great. Yeah, I mean, that's invasion like a, of country and yeah, it's like Homer's Odyssey. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so the club originally said, you know. He's, he's hurt himself, but he's all right. He'll be able to play, and he was named in the side to play. Oh. Um, but there was no way he was playing. And I've actually got audio here of an interview that Harry Collier did um, years, years later, but on his reflection about what he heard following the accident. We'll just have a quick listen to that. I was walking up Hoddle Street, and an old woman said to me, she said, what do you think tomorrow, Harry? I said, look. I says, if Pratty wasn't in that bloody side, I think we'd win. And God blimey, when I got the paper, and what do you think's on the front of the paper? The Bob Pratt injured. Hit yeah. the truck. So that's what Harry thought. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of what happened. Um, fantastic that we can hear that. Yeah, yeah isn't it? That Good to have some, some actual audio from players. Mm. And um, I don't know where you got those tram sounds. There's an, there's an app. <laughs> yeah. Tram sound app. All right, so just to add to that story about Bob Pratt being hit, there's a few conspiracy yeah. theories um, I want to put out there as well. Um, the first one was an interview he did, I think for the 100 Years of Football documentary that was released in the 90s, uh, where he talked about Squizzy Taylor being yeah. the one who and, yeah. supposedly paid him off or tried to pay him off to to not play. So he, he implicated that maybe Squizzy Taylor was involved. In very yes. suspicious. Yeah. Well, it would be if Squizzy Taylor was alive. <laughs> yeah, he died in 27. He died in 27, so he died yeah. eight years before. Yeah, it's a so maybe, conspiracy. Maybe the, the knock from a truck hit him a bit harder than yeah. <laughs> back in time. So how about this one then? Um, it was all set up by John Wren. Well, we actually heard, like, when we did our walking tour of Collingwood, we he talked a little bit about that as well, didn't he? When he mentioned, yeah. he mentioned so that. Supposedly, the, the driver of the van, who we know was a South Melbourne supporter, worked for John Wren. Okay, so oh. even though he was a South Melbourne supporter, maybe his, uh, his loyalties lay closer somewhere else. Well, it was a yeah. depression. Money, yeah. money yeah, was scarce. Yeah. Uh, and we know John Wren controlled the illegal gambling in Victoria. Um, 
Yeah, so there's... Allegedly. What do you mean? It was a big tea industry. I don't know what you're talking about. And the other thing is, in a few, we'll find out in a few years' time that both Laurie Nash and um, Bob Pratt leave for more money and they move to the VFA. Oh, yeah. So money was a big issue back then, and if yeah. a bit of extra money always did help. Yeah, mm-hmm. it turns out to be their best goalkeeper. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, and the other thing is, I think Bob Pratt was labelled as injured because of his ankle, but he he hurt his ankle on the mid-season trip yeah, to New the, South Wales. The, yeah, in the Sydney game. Yeah, yeah. Right, when they didn't take the, the hard ground. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's that was the injury because he he walked home after he got hit by the tram. So. Conspiracy theories, who knows? And the other the other thing I was going to mention was also the umpire in the grand final, umpire Bob Scott. Bob Scott, yeah. Um, remember the previous, in 34, he'd umpired that Carlton Collingwood game with all the fights, failed to report one Collingwood player, but like three Car- four, right? four Carlton players got reported and a few suspended. And the, Well, there was another thing. This was the eighth grand final in a seventh. row. Seventh grand final in a row that he'd yeah, umpired. He'd umpired. Yeah, which, which includes a lot of Collingwood grand finals. Yes. So Rigged. all may not be as it seems, <laughs> and yeah, as time goes, as time goes on, that you would doubt an infallible umpire. <laughs> <laughs> but as time goes on, these conspiracy theories always build up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, the less people who were around when it actually happened, the more you know stories you hear about yep. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the grand final on Saturday, the fifth of October. We know Colin would like playing in October grand finals. Umpire Bob Scott would be umpiring his seventh grand final in a row, which was a record for umpires. No, mm. no umpire in the in the Victorian league had umpired seven grand finals in a row. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Um, but we can sit here and rattle on about it. Let's. Let's chat now instead to Harry Collier and see what he has to say about this unexpected Collingwood Premiership victory. Hey, Harry, it's so great to talk to you. Yeah, you too, guys. Uh, it's been a great day. Uh, certainly has, to top off a great year, mate. Yes, look, we were very happy with the way we've played all year. It's been great, and uh, look, all the boys have really come together well. Yeah, it's been a long ride, but tell us, Harry, uh, has it been good playing with your brother again these last couple of years? Oh, absolutely. Uh, playing in the back, black and white has been a dream ever since I was a young fella selling records outside Victoria Park. And look, captaining the club, winning a premiership and playing with leader, especially as my second in command this year, look, that just puts the cherry on top for me. Oh, when you put it like that, Harry, it sounds like an absolute dream. How has it been taking over from Sid? Yeah, look, it feels like a dream as well, I'm not going to lie. Um, look, it was a real shame to lose Sid. He was such a great captain for such a long time. A fantastic leader my whole time at uh, Collingwood. I'm trying to fill some pretty good, sh- uh, pretty big shoes, you could say, but this premiership is making me feel like I might just be able to do it. <laughs> well, uh, well, let's move on to talk about the season you've just had, Harry. So, um, starting with a fantastic win over the Swans. Yeah, look, if we go back that far, look, it's been great. Um, after last year, we thought them and Richmond were probably the two teams to beat, and coming off on top straight away, I think definitely gave us some confidence. Well, the record shows that confidence, Harry. Ten wins and one loss against Carlton. And up until that return match against South... Uh, look, yeah, we were really playing well together and really had the feel of it. Uh, everyone can have a bit of a, a down day, though, can't they? And Bob Pratt kicking 10 did not make life easy for us. 
And there was a fair bit coming from the press about your trip up north straight after this as well, wasn't there? Yeah, look, some people seem to think it was a bad idea, but look, we knew from 27 that it could be the making of us as well. Yeah. It was a risk we were willing yeah. to take. Uh, and also after they beat us, uh, Jock looked at it as a great opportunity to get a better look at a team we knew would be, uh, we'd be seeing in September. Oh, very interesting, Harry. Um, look, it seemed to work, didn't it? You guys didn't drop another game for the year. Um, so with only the two losses and the two draws, you took that double chance into the finals. Yes, that was very nice, wasn't it? Having a bit of breathing space there. But we were a bit worried um, coming into the final round. It was close up the top and a few results had to go our way to make sure of that happening. But we did everything we could to, to uh, put it back in our control. Things started to look a bit shaky in that second semi-final, though. What was the plan to stop Pratt and Nash? Yeah, look, I think everyone outside the club was more worried than we were at that stage. We were really confident that Regan could do a, a you know, lead our young backline and dry things mm. up for the Swans if we saw them ag- again in the finals. Yeah, though first you had to contend with the Tigers last year's premiers, and things were very close at halftime. Yes, uh, look, we knew they'd come out strong. We've played the Tigers many times recently in finals, um, but knew if we could keep it close, we'd run over the top of them in the second half. We just felt fit and like we were playing our best footy at the right time of the year. Well, so then on to the grand final, Harry, meeting South Melbourne for the seventh time this year, obviously, twice during the season and then the three uh, uh, games up north. Um, How did you feel, tell us really, about when you heard what happened to Bob Pratt? Yeah, well, look, um, I felt terrible. You might not believe it, but it was just unbelievable. Everyone was... Um, everyone was so glad when we heard it wasn't serious. I mean, in fact, those uh, sn- sneaks down at South tried to convince us that he was going to play as well. <laughs> yeah. um, serious though, seriously, though, we love playing guys like Bob Pratt. He's an absolute champion of the yeah. game. And we'd love another opportunity to show that we can get the job done, even with him in the side. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we believe we could have beaten them, Yeah. no matter what. Yeah, you might just get that chance again, Harry. Um, even without Bob, the Swans were uh, walking to the grand final taller... Heavier and older than you, on average. So how did you feel about that matchup? Um, look, they may have had that, but we had a few boys with more than you know 150 games experience under their belts, yeah. and that experience counts for something, especially on days like today. Oh, it certainly does. Fonz kind got you guys going with a quick shot that didn't quite make it, but then Moore and Nash were able to goal, and South also got a couple more shots that luckily for you didn't hit the target. Were you a bit sluggish off the mark today? Yeah, look, we just weren't using the ball as well as we usually do. And it was a pretty physical game, but we really relished that side of things. We got moving again, though, and with a few goals to Nuts and Fonz, we managed to take the lead back in the second quarter. And uh, you managed to maintain that pressure in the third quarter as well, it looked. Uh, It stayed pretty close and very physical still, as you mentioned. Uh, Tell us, did you see what happened to Jack Bissett in the third quarter there? Yeah, nah, look, look, I know he got knocked out or knocked in the first quarter, and I think the the second one just stopped him in his tracks. Look, as far as I know, there was nothing untoward about it, just just bad luck, I guess. Yeah, and then you started the last quarter with a very nice goal of your own. Yes, well, it felt great to be able to put one through and, you know, give us just that little bit of breathing space we needed. Yeah, and then a few more goals gave you that 20-point win. Tell us, Harry, how did it feel when the siren rang? Well, look, not to be blase about it, but I thought I knew how I'd feel. But doing it as captain is just another thing altogether. Mm. Um, VFL President Bill McClelland and our and our own president, Harry Curtis, were two of the first to congratulate us. And everyone was just going crazy, all except for Charlie Dibbs, who was in the rooms already with concussion. Yeah, that was a pretty heavy knock. Yeah, poor Charlie. 
Yeah, that's uh, look. Thanks for sharing that with us, Harry. Uh, now, from where we're sitting here, you had an absolutely un- unbelievable individual game. We'd say probably best on ground. Right. But apart from yourself, who do you think the standouts were for, <laughs> yeah. the, for the Pies today? Yeah. Th- look, thanks for that, fellas. I appreciate that little uh, shout out. Um, <laughs> look, without sounding one-eyed, I thought Lita was fantastic today, and look, Regan was exceptional in defence as well as Fonz at centre half forward. We just seemed to be able to, you know, be a bit more versatile around the ground today and didn't lose focus with the physicality of the game. So get a bit of me time there, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, mate. Now, go and enjoy it. Any plans for tonight? Well, yeah, look, there's a bit of chat going around um, about getting the piano out down at Vic Park tonight. I think, I think it's uh, I think Alf Dummett's nephew's pretty handy and knows some honky-tonk songs. <laughs> uh, look, everyone's ready for a big celebration, I tell you that. Um, look, guys, i got to run. Thanks. It's been great to chat. Um, uh, and good good for the team to be back in this position. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Harry. Look forward to speaking again soon. No worries, guys. Yeah, paint the town. Thank you very much, Harry. Um, There's a few little bits as well to talk about the grand final aftermath. Um, As part of their celebrations, and I think Harry alluded to this, um, a piano was pushed into the middle of Victoria Park as (laughs) celebrations continued on throughout the night. Uh Uh, Dick Dummett, who is the nephew of committee man Elf Dummett, took on uh, the job of playing songs and played honky-tonk hours honky-tonk numbers until the wee hours of the until the wee hours oh, um, Jim Ryan who is a local business owner and committee man also donated five pounds per man as a reward um, the celebrations went for a few nights as well apparently on the second night on their way home uh, Harry Collier Harold Rumney and their wives were driving back through the uh, through Studley Park Road in Kew and drove their car through the fence of the Archbishop of Melbourne Mannix's house <laughs> Leaving their bumper bar embedded in the fence and driving off. Um, he wasn't too worried. He was a kind of a, a Collingwood supporter, a friend of John Wren. And um, he was like, well, they're, they're going to have to go and, and, and apologise and collect their bumper bar from the Kew police station, aren't they? So um, They also offered to, met to, to, um, to fix the fence. And uh, Archbishop Maddox was like, no, I can mend my own fences. Yeah. The Archbishop... Friends with John Wren yeah. is covered for the fence repairs. <laughs> yeah. um, also, one thing about Laurie Nash, um, in the lead up to the grand final, he actually played a midweek grand final in the Wednesday Police League team. Oh, really? In the yeah, kicking he kicked six goals in that game, but maybe that also explains why he was so quiet in the grand final. So South allowed him to play in the Wednesday comp. It's all money. Yeah. It's a depression, and a lot of players did. They played in Wednesday They comps. did, didn't they? And we, talk, I mean, we, did. we talked earlier about Kazali playing yeah. playing both as well, yep. and that's how he got his lead into South also. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Now, the, the uh, reserves grade winners this year were again the Demons. The mighty, mighty Ds. Yeah. Five in a row. Can you believe it? <laughs> of course you can. It's the Ds. <laughs> Um, the incredible one thing about this was they finished fourth. They scraped into finals yep. and, and won the whole thing. Job, that ex- that experience. And with players like, uh, I think LaFontaine was still eligible to play maybe this year. I know yes. Brassy yeah. did. There's a few young... A few of their younger players who were in the seniors were, able, were eligible to play. To play, yeah, because they'd played a few games earlier in the season. Mm. Yeah, so mm. it... Uh, it's a hardly I surprise. mean, you, you, it, yeah. well... In hindsight, it's not really a surprise, is it, when you look at what they managed to do. So, it's yeah, it's good times. Coming mm. for the mighty Filchers. Um, and that gets us to the end of the season. I've got a few retirees for you guys as well. Oh, cue sad music. We've got Tom... Sorry. Tom Fitzmorris, <laughs> Essendon Premiership champion. He played at Geelong and North Melbourne as well. Mm. Uh, Root McDonald, 111 games and one flag with Geelong. 
George Maloney of Geelong also, 88 games, 303 goals, including that 1932 season where he kicked 109. Jack Vosti of Essendon and Footscray. Doug Strang of Richmond, 180 goals in 64 games. Jack Cashman, Fitzroy and Carlton, <laughs> uh, cut, captain, uh, he was coach of Fitzroy last season. Colin Watson, uh, the league's second ever Brownlow medalist, 93 games between 1920 and 1935. Umpire Bob Scott, umpired his seventh and final grand final, finishing with 156 games. And finally, old boy, Retired. The journalist, also known ah. as R.W.E. Wilmont of the Argus, oh. uh, hung up his pen, pen, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> oh, how do we know? He must have made an article about it. Well, we've been reading him forever. Oh no, he's been oh. writing for as long Isn't as I can he... remember. Yes. Um, so well, let's, let's have a lady come through. Yes. Let's have not the old boy. Yeah. Let's have the old gal. The old lass. That's right. <laughs> um, so let's sum the season up, Casman. And while you're Anna. doing that, um, Anna can think of a sign-off. <laughs> oh no! Don't put me through that again. I've heard. I haven't heard the end of it from you two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the 1935 Premier Moz Collingwood. Good. They beat South Melbourne by I think was it 20 points oh. in the end. Hmm. Should probably check that. Oh, poor Bob my score. Pratt. Yeah, 20 points. And that that the, debut came in for um for uh, Bob Pratt. Kicked yeah, two goals. He did. Didn't get it done. Um, the Brownlow medalist. Hayden Bunton for the third time. time. Three peaks. Three in <laughs> three in five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, leading goal kicker. Bob Pratt. Bob Pratt. Bob Pratt. Ninety-seven yes. for the season. One hundred and three, if you include. I guess so. The finals and the wooden spoon was won by North Melbourne. Their sixth North wooden spoon. Mm. Highest score for the season was Geelong with twenty-six goals, sixteen, one hundred and seventy-two. Um, the McCracken Name Award, Kaz. Oh. So, you need to decide. Do you, Does Alan Coward, umpire extraordinaire, retain his title? Uh. We also have Pi Lewis, Tommy the Turk Leahy, Ray Wartman, Bill <laughs> Ripper, Harry Hollingshead, or Rowley Flynn? A really big soft spot for the Turk, Tom the Turk Leahy. Yeah. I know. What do you guys think? Well, we're we're assessing to... his name here. We're not assessing his yeah. character. I'm trying to be the man name. of the people. I quite like Wartman as well. <laughs> or Bill Coward Ripper. Ripper. Oh, there's a few yeah, good ones. I, I did lean towards Ripper straight off. Um, so, so that's right. We'll go. We'll go with Wartman because <laughs> of the ridiculousness of his name. He doesn't need a nickname. And uh, right. also, there's that that child's book, The Thing. Uh, that, there's oh, a yes. funny story about a wart in that. It's mm. so English that. <laughs> with the wart, he, he intends that this fairy thing's on his finger. He pretends it's a wart, but it's got an eye. Okay. Oh. And he's like, it's 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 actually a what? Gross. And um, it's <laughs> disgusting. Well, I read a similar book yesterday to my class about a, a hairball that turns into a living thing. <laughs> so there you go. There's some creepy genres going around. Yeah. All right, let's get uh, around. That's a good book. Premiership tallies as of 1935 as well. Ooh. Collingwood are on 10 premierships. Double figures, first ten to each. Double Whoa, figures. Fitzroy coming. on seven, Essendon on six, Carlton on five, Richmond four, South Melbourne three, Geelong two, Melbourne two. We need to change that mm. Mm. as we head into the nineteen thirty six season. Collingwood mm. absolutely getting it done, mm-hmm. aren't they? Always mm. there. Thank you guys for another good season. Thank you, Kamish. Thank you, Casman. Yeah. Thank you. Always thanks a for, pleasure. Thanks, thanks for being at the helm. Too. Yeah. Always a pleasure carrying us. Always a pleasure to mm-hmm. be here. Um, we will hope we've hopefully got a guest lined up for our 1936 episode. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. which we'll be doing yeah. in a few weeks. So we look forward to that. Yeah, please tune in. It's yeah. going to be a good one. Yeah. Um, tell your friends about us as well. Yeah, spread, spread the, the word. word. There's no, there's especially in no Russia. Football, no football se- Yeah, especially in Russia. No football season <laughs> at the moment. So good chance to hear about other seasons and maybe successes your teams have had in the past if you mm. Mm. follow a team who hasn't had much success recently. Mm-hmm. Social yeah. media is our friend. Yes. Yeah, we're on Twitter. Absolutely. We're on Instagram. Mm. We're on Facebook. Yeah, we, we got them covered. Yeah. Email if we're you want to go a bit old not on school. TikTok, no. No. No, no. No. That's no. a thing now, isn't it? Email for old school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did email become old school? <laughs> well, I think once Instagram came in, but, you know, I still email every day, so can't be that old school. Yes, we do. If we had a PO box and we could ask, we could, people could write in, mm. like, snail mail. Please write in. <gasps> That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to give up their address? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. Nah, nah, nah. All right. Um, so tune in again next season for another great year. But thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Hooroo! Hooroo! To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.